Now that doctors and patients have discovered the many benefits of hemp-derived CBD, Alpine Miracles Nano Emulsion CBD formula is one of the most bioavailable on the market today. It's 100% THC-free, so you can order it online anywhere in the U.S. Order yours today at alpinemiracle.com. Scientists are just beginning to understand its essential role in maintaining optimal health. Get yours today. Use the code REPORTER and receive 10% off. Don't wait. Get it now at alpinemiracle.com. And now, broadcasting on Star Worldwide Networks, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, and delighted to be here today. With more than half of the United States now regulating cannabis, you'd think that the federal government would be well on its way to reforming federal policy. After all, state regulation has resulted in lower rates of opiate addiction, fewer drug-related crimes, and a drop in illicit drug use, particularly among minors. Regulation has also provided significant economic benefits for the states while taking black market cash flow out of the hands of gangs and dangerous cartels. Despite the overwhelming success of state regulation, the DEA is doubling down on its federal enforcement of marijuana policy, even in regulation states. And to what end? While illicit drug activity siphons billions of dollars out of our economy into the hands of foreign cartels, more than $3.6 billion has been spent every year enforcing and prosecuting drug crimes. Add to that figure the cost of criminal defense and penalties incurred by families of the incarcerated, as well as the cost of international enforcement, and the number would more than double. The effort has resulted in more than 7 million arrests, leading to more than 2.2 million incarcerations and as many families destroyed in the U.S. alone. Thousands of families in developing nations are subject to conflict between drug enforcement and cartels, and the loss of life caused by the ensuing violence would be impossible to calculate. Is it worth it? Despite all the efforts and resources dumped into fighting the war on drugs, the U.S. policy has failed to curb drug use or make a dent in organized crime. In fact, by all credible accounts, illicit drugs are now more accessible, more potent, more dangerous, and more affordable than they were 47 years ago. Zero-tolerance policies have undercut public health across the globe. It's also contributed to the upsurge in violence, sponsoring terrorism, and giving power to violent cartels. For example, the United Nations Office of Drug Control estimates that $68 billion has been collected from the opium trade in Afghanistan. This only fueled the insurgency and the ongoing war. The DEA in Mexico, Colombia, and other countries in Central and South America have created a crisis of violence that no amount of law enforcement can solve. And nowhere is this felt more than in the country of Mexico, our closest neighbor and ally. Legalizing drugs in the U.S. could mitigate these problems and help end the war. The problem is that having galvanized the global coalition to fight one of the most costly, deadly, and enduring wars of all time, the U.S. government stands to lose credibility if marijuana policies were suddenly reversed, 
But on the other hand, indisputable evidence that marijuana is not just harmless but necessary for human health is making it harder to justify the ongoing prohibition. International coalitions of NGOs, advocacy groups, and marijuana lobbyists are calling for a ceasefire. The pressure is also coming from the medical and sciences communities and also from international media. At home, new states are making federal policy irrelevant and the high demand for medical marijuana and hemp is making it hard to defend. Having been influenced by drug policies of the U.S. since marijuana was placed on the DEA's list of Schedule I narcotics, Mexico is beginning to follow the trend toward legalization and began changing its marijuana policy in 2009 when it decriminalized possession in an effort to treat addiction as a public health issue rather than a criminal offense. At face value, growing acceptance and data supporting the economic upside of legalizing cannabis would make it seem like a no-brainer, right? And yet, a backlog of stalled cannabis bills have yet to see the light of day in Congress. Our respect in the global community could be on the line if we fail to recognize the injustice of destroying millions of lives for the sake of a harmless plant. That's the topic of today's show, and there really is no one better to talk about this than today's guest. I am very excited to introduce you to the former president of Mexico, Vicente Fox. But first, Dr. Brian Donner has our medical marijuana minute. What do you have for us today, Dr. Donner? Thank you, Snowden. I was disappointed to learn that our Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, is trying to reverse the DEA's hands-off restrictions in states that allow medical marijuana. With all we know today, there is no excuse to target patients based on a fallacy that marijuana is a dangerous drug with no medical use. That couldn't be further from the truth. Anthropological data has shown evidence that cannabis has been used for medical and cultural purposes since 4,000 years B.C., from that point onward, marijuana had been a widely accepted medicine without incident until prohibition began. In fact, in the United States, marijuana remained this way until 1971, when the Controlled Substances Act made it illegal. When states began adopting new medical marijuana policy, it came as good news for patients, especially those struggling with ongoing treatment difficulties and inadequacies for issues such as neurological and autoimmune conditions, chronic pain, and cancer, to name a few. It was also good news to doctors, researchers, and the medical community who were just beginning to understand the science and importance of cannabis to human health. But even in legal states, patients weren't entirely immune from federal prosecution until 2015 when the Obama administration restricted the DEA's authority to go after patients and healthcare providers in states that allow medical marijuana. Since then, Medical marijuana has helped thousands of patients cope with debilitating illnesses, injury, and emotional issues. Regulation has also proven beneficial on economic and social levels. So it came as a surprise that the Attorney General would ask congressional leaders to authorize the DEA to target patients in regulation states on the basis that marijuana is a dangerous drug that belongs on the Schedule One list alongside drugs like LSD and meth, which have no known medical use and a high potential for abuse. We have plenty of scientific evidence confirming that marijuana is a safe and effective medicine that has a low potential for abuse. In 2016, the National Academies of Sciences reviewed findings of current clinical and peer-reviewed studies and released a comprehensive report confirming that marijuana has legitimate medical application. 
Despite the evidence and strong recommendations of the American Medical Association, the Institute of Medicine, and other esteemed medical science entities, the DEA has denied all petitions to remove marijuana from the Schedule I controlled substances list. As a physician, I believe it is in the best interest of everyone involved to make medical cannabis available to any patient who needs it for medical purposes. With legislation to protect patients and state medical marijuana laws pending in the Senate, I sincerely hope that our congressional leaders act on truth and deny Mr. Sessions' request. I'm Dr. Brian Donner for the Cannabis Reporter. I'll be back again next week for another edition of the Medical Marijuana Minute. Back to you, Snowden. Thank you very much, Dr. Donner. I am very honored to introduce to you the former president of Mexico, Vicente Fox. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, and uh, thank you for the opportunity of uh, speaking with the great American people all around the nation. And yes, I just listened to your summary of uh, a situation. I think it's uh, irreversible. The trend that is already very dynamic, moving from prohibition into regulation, uh, moving from illegality into legality. But today, uh, the President of the United States, Donald Trump, doesn't seem to understand history, doesn't seem to, to recognize the great advances that society has done in very specific and difficult issues, like the case of drugs, cannabis. I think this irreversible trend of uh, uh, close to 30 states in the United States that have approved for medical use, uh, those four states that have approved for responsible use, is, is the way to go. And this is the way the world is moving. Uh, we recall the cases of Holland, uh, Portugal, that went for the whole enchilada, they went uh, through the whole uh, spectrum of drugs and legalized, moved from prohibition to uh, regulation, and they are doing great. I mean, consumption uh, has not increased, especially among minors and youth. Uh, the whole uh, issue has transited from an illegal underground economic activity uh, to a sector of the economy that is generated with funds and income to government that is bringing peace and harmony among people. And this is exactly what we learned in the case of Mexico, Central America, and Latin America. Now we're moving. Now we are getting into those same changes. The case of Mexico specifically today uh, already has legalized the case of medical use of cannabis. It's first step yet to issue, government issue, the specific regulation, but we're on the move. And I hope pretty soon, because it couldn't be understood, if we don't also move towards uh, legalizing the case of uh, responsible of recreational use. Because if we have in our border states like uh, California or like Colorado that have already done and taken the step, it would be 
absolutely inconvenient for Mexico to stay behind. I, I think then we're moving. I think that uh, it's an irreversible trend. I think Trump, President Trump, is absolutely wrong in reversing things that are already moved by the liberal society that now dominates uh, the whole spectrum of United States. And this conservative, extreme conservative, extreme dogmatic reverse actions that Trump pretends is causing a lot of problems. And this is why the DEA doesn't even know what to do today, because it has been specifically approved at a state level, and it has not yet been done so at federal level. It's a total contradiction on, on the case. And number two, a total contradiction, because Mexico is suffering from violence, suffering from this war on drugs, suffering from these cartel leaders and this amount of homicides and crimes that amount tens of thousands of kids in Mexico. And this is the case that Mexico is in between the huge, the mammoth consumer market in the United States and the producers, the producer nations in the South, like Colombia, Venezuela, uh, in Bolivia, Ecuador. So we're trapped right there in the middle, paying a price that is unsustainable to Mexico on economic costs, on loss of foreign investment, on uh, this fear that you feel on the streets of Mexico. When all of this can be corrected, as soon as we legalize, as soon as we move from uh, prohibition into legalization. But the United States leadership has to stay consistent, has to keep the path that has already started, has to continue, and has to bring in this new paradigm of letting people exercise their own free responsibility, whether to consume or not, as long as we give them full information of the impact and the problems that drug consumption can generate. But it's not the state, it's not government, and this was the position of the founding fathers in the United States to influence, impact, limit, or change uh, personal behavior, personal uh, moral and ethical beliefs. It's, it's the own human being who has to take its own decisions. You know, that seems to be the biggest hypocrisy of the very conservative policy on drugs in the United States. I mean, by all accounts, the conservative party has always been laissez-faire government, human freedoms. I mean, certainly they defend the Second Amendment right to carry arms. Yeah. <laughs> and that's caused its own deadly outcomes across the board. But it just seems so strange to me that the conservative parties have been the ones mainly keeping drug legalization from happening. And I wonder, when, when you were in office... How much resistance do you think that you had to decriminalizing cannabis or making any moves toward legalization? Was there a lot of resistance? When, when I was in government and I ended up my term in 2006, up to that point, 
we didn't have the costly price of blood, killings, uh, crimes committed in the streets of uh, our cities and all over Mexico. Uh, year 2006, in my case, it was the best ever crime rate, lowest crime rate that Mexico has had. So this problem began when President Calderon, with a misguided and, uh, and wrong decision, brings in the army to, to fight drugs and cartels. So he creates and promotes and impulses the war on drugs. When it's certain, and we knew way behind uh, that uh, that war is always in, in, in negative terms. You only get more people killed. You only get more uh, violations to the due judiciary process. And you only get increase in drugs because it seems to be that the prohibited uh, case of drugs seems to attract our youth to, to consume them. So it was a wrong decision. And in my term, year 2006, the crime rate was nine crimes out of 100,000 citizens, and it moved to 28 crimes just the next year with Presidente Calderon. So it's not the way to confront or to face the problem of drugs. The problem of drugs is not a problem of criminality. It's not a problem for uh, governments to impose uh, behaviors. It's a health problem that has to be dealt with information, that has to be dealt with prevention, and has to be dealt with treatment for those who fall in the trap of uh, excess uh, drug consuming. So that's the changing paradigm that up to now is beginning to happen in Mexico. Imagine the amount of money we're going to take away from cartels in Mexico that they get in the U.S. market, a figure around 55 billion U.S. dollars every year. And that's what nourishes and that's what brings to these cartels such a mighty power they have, even to confront government, to corrupt people, to corrupt government officials, to buy all the weapons and ammunition they need, and they buy them in the United States. So our problem is in the United States. And many people or many citizens in the United States don't understand this. They question themselves, what the hell is going on in Mexico? What's happening with Mexicans? Are they going crazy, killing each other? Are they drinking too much tequila and becoming violent? <laughs> this is the question that U.S. citizens get, and the answer is easy. Our problem is in the huge mammoth consumption of drugs in the United States. So the best thing to happen in Mexico is that U.S. keeps moving on the right direction like it's been done in Washington, California, Colorado. And consumption has not increased, and governments are raising money through taxation, and now criminals are businessmen, or criminals are farmers, or criminals are trading uh, executives. So the paradigm is totally different. 
And this is what I see when I come to the United States, like I went to Auckland to participate as a main speaker on the World Summit on Cannabis. It's, it's, I had a, the, the possibility to see there a crowd of over 1,000 people, all of them dressed with a suit and a tie, instead of what I used to see before. So this is the big change. Criminals can become businessmen, entrepreneurs, and and uh, and uh, executives. Yeah. Well, I know that there is a big effort to change the stigma that is attached to cannabis over the last 80 years of denigrating its use. And... You know, and then, of course, with the war on drugs beginning in full um, armor, I should say, <laughs> in 1971 yes. with with uh, President Nixon, you know, it, yes, the, yes. so many people were afraid of it, I think, because of the stigma that was attached. They were afraid to talk about it. Politicians were afraid to pass any regulation about it for fear that they might be chastised by their constituents. And I think that it, you're right. You go to these conferences now and people show up in business suits. They're taking it very, very seriously and for good reason. You know, it's doing so much good for people in the states where it's being regulated right now. And I think the cat is out of the bag, if, <laughs> if you will, yeah. as far as, you know, what people are learning about cannabis now. You cannot just put that back in the closet and continue the lies yes. about it. So what would, what would be, in, in Mexico, in 2009, that's when they started to reverse some of the criminalization. Is that correct? Or did that happen before that, where the penalties were reduced and that sort of thing? When did that start to occur? Okay, we were in the situation whereby consumption in Mexico is not penalized either of cannabis, marijuana, uh, and any other drug. In Mexico, it's not penalized to consume. What is being penalized up until now is to produce, is to process or transform, and it is to sell. So that's, that was still illegal in Mexico up until a few months ago when Congress, Mexican Congress, already approved the medical use of marijuana. So in Mexico now, that step has been taken. It's legal uh, marijuana for medical use, but yet we have to wait for the regulations because it's not clear who can produce, who is going to provide the market, who is going to retail and sell. So many uh, things that have to be decided, the sooner the better, so that we uh, uh, are equivalent to what has happened in those states in the United States or what has already happened in Uruguay. I'm urging Mexican authorities to move fast because a couple of reasons. Number one, because of the right thing to do. Number two, because we're going to take a huge mammoth amount of money out of cartels and put that money in hands of government through taxation. And number three, because I think there are ethical, moral reasons to let the individual, the human being, take its own responsible, free decisions. And this is the paradigm 
of the United States is freedom. And the founding fathers of the United States stated very clearly that governments do not have the right to impose behavior, to impose beliefs, or uh, any other thing upon the individual, upon the citizens, unless, and this is the only justification for government intervention, unless you affect third parties. If not, you should be let free to conform your own moral, ethical values. And that's a key issue. And the same thing is in Mexico. And that's why church and dogma are separated from government. This is where I think Donald Trump is absolutely wrong. He's making a big historical mistake because he's imposing, like a dictator, dogma and behavior to people. What right he has to uh, take those decisions? It's not constitutional. Uh, it's not governments that can intervene in my behavior. Uh, so it's unfortunately United States with this false prophet, with this liar, is walking backwards. What the liberals, what the people that see to the future uh, are moving ahead, like it's being done California, Colorado, Washington, and, and all of those. Why dogmatic uh, Presbyterians or evangelicals or Catholics have to impose behaviors? That's where humankind paid a huge price. And it happened with the prohibition of alcohol. It was a dogmatic religious decision imposed upon citizens. And of course, it blew up. It didn't work. Like, this prohibition on drugs is not working, so we have to move out of there. Now, it's very important that we, uh, through the money that is going to be raised, or is being raised through taxes, that we invest that money in information, in prevention, in uh, resolving cases that are already having problems. And uh, so, this is the wise, right way to go. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. And, uh, you know, it really is unfortunate that the DEA position now under Attorney General Jeff Sessions has basically doubled down, like I said in the opening, they've doubled down on yes. on their enforcement. And under under President Obama in the 2015 omnibus budget that was passed by Congress, they actually eliminated the funds for the DEA enforcement of marijuana laws, you know, yes. so that they could allow the states to adopt their own regulation. And now yes. they've sort of reversed that policy and, and gone even a step further in that they've actually added concentrates derived from hemp, which is, you know, obviously non-psychotropic. They've given it its own numerical code I within the Schedule 1. So it's, it, it's very strange, you know, why they're going about this when they see that there's so much progress. You know, and I just wonder about the, the mentality that gets behind that and and why so much fear let me ask you this has hemp been for industrial purposes is hemp something that is moving forward in mexico as well under this new medical marijuana uh, policy or is that still a separate issue no i think uh, public opinion now is, is uh 
favorable, and that's why politicians in uh, Congress can act now and can move forward uh, with legis legislation and regulation. And that's where Mexico is right now. I am holding here at Central Fox, which is the first presidential library outside of the United States, the one and only presidential library. I'm holding a World Summit Cannabis uh, event uh, next year in May. And uh, I'm doing that because we need to keep the pace. We need to move forward. Uh, we need not to hesitate and complete what already has started. And so I'm, I'm going to be inviting uh, the community uh, related to cannabis uh, from the United States, uh, from Oakland, from California, from Washington, Colorado. Next. I'm already convoking all of them, the people from Portugal, Holland, the people from Uruguay and South America. We're going to gather here. And the whole idea to me is to have a very strong message to authorities. It's not time to hesitate. It's a great step forward to take away the money from the cartels, to stop this stupid world war on drugs, convoked, yes, by President Nixon way behind, and convoked in Mexico by President Calderon, and it's killing us. Why, why this kills this almost 80,000 to 100,000 are killed every year here in Mexico. Young kids, 16 to 24, which they did not have in their genius criminality. They were not born criminals, but as they didn't have the opportunities to go to school, to get a scholarship for university, to have a job, to have a decent life, they go and join the cartels. And cartels are paying them a salary that is double than the salary that is being paid by General Motors in the manufacturing plant here in Mexico. So why those kids have to die? Why every year the quota increases? Somebody has to do something about this. So the Mexican case has the case has a, a twofold uh, reason why. One is to stop those killings, to save our kids to take away the money from the cartels, to put it in hands of government, and number two, the philosophical, the ethical, the moral uh, right of people to exercise your own freedom. Here in Mexico, Acapulco, in the state of Guerrero, that wonderful place, beautiful place, admired all over the world. Well, we're getting tens of kids dying every day because of the Amapola production which is right there in Veracruz, I would immediately, if I were president, immediately legalize uh, the production of uh, Amapola. And they say it's, it's, it's a killing plant. It's a killing flower. It's not. We human beings make bad use of things like we do with guns. We get a gun and sometimes we suicide ourselves. We kill ourselves. The gun is not to be blamed for that. The cannabis is a beautiful plant green, beautiful, uh, that was nature's creation, and it doesn't have to be bad by itself. It's bad because some people make it bad. And same thing, I think, about the Amapola. Uh, this discussion in the United States right now about opioids. I mean, opioids, drugs, medicine, is good for human beings. When you don't... Uh, 
take it with with uh, measurement. You don't take it with uh, with um, well, I don't know how to say it. Uh, then you make it a bad thing. And, and the, the opiate thing, the only thing you need is to regulate, to stop doctors from providing doses that are up uh, and more than what a human being can sustain. And, and the people that is not moderate in their consumption that use drugs to go crazy uh, and, and good drugs that are good for health, uh, people make it bad. So the opiate thing is being, uh, again, by reprimanding, by pressure, by imposing, it's not going to be solved. It's going to be solved by understanding, by everybody learning about what the problem is, what the consequences are, and then you you get people that with uh, reasoning and with logic and with wisdom react positively to those things. Yeah, is the, is the opiate distribution as out of control there as it is here in the States? Well, it seems to be. It could be done, and I'm sure part of the excess in consuming and the health problem that is creating is because uh, consumers are uh, unknowledgeable, consuming more than they need, are not being moderate, and, and they're having the problem to kill themselves, to suicide themselves. So what we need is information to people. If people or one citizen decides with, with full information that he wants to do it, let him do and let him kill himself. But let's not make public policies out of specific cases or out of a thing that is good. Drugs, medicine is good for human beings. We just need to have control. Guns, uh, you just need to have control. It's right that somebody can have a gun. But if you don't have control, then you get what you get in Las Vegas, or you get what you get in all of these killings in the United States that you know, at the very end amount to more homicides and more crimes than the ones we have here in Mexico. And Trump is, is uh, uh, with stubbornness. Uh, it's always Mexico. He likes to hurt Mexico, to speak bad about Mexico, to say that we're rapists, to say that we're criminals. It's so stupid what Trump says, and he repeats this every day. It's so stupid the idea of a wall. It's so stupid on his mind to think that without a wall, he will change things the way they are. The wall is in his mind that he cannot think freely because he's dogmatic, he's dictatorial, and he imposes uh, people. He got those dogmatic followers, those uh, fanatical followers up there behind him, but the U.S., that great nation that I feel part of, is totally different. It's a great nation. It's a leading nation. What right has President Trump to enclose the leading nation on the world, or the world in four walls? That's a stupid thinking. The yeah. champion of openness, the champion of trading, which is being United States, now he's imposing his wrong will to deteriorate, to control, to reduce the, the capacities of, of that great nation. Yeah. You have no idea, for those of us who did not vote for him, it's very, very troubling to see what is happening in terms of the racism. And I'm really convinced that the whole idea of the wall and the ensuing war on drugs and so many other policies that are being put in place, for instance, the, 
the immigration policies, which are completely ridiculous, you know, it's kind of born out of racism. And, you know, I don't say that lightly, but it just seems as though there's, it, it all boils down to either racism or money. And to be honest, I believe in my heart that drug prohibition, such as cannabis prohibition, really began with racism, but it ensues because of the money. And there are special interests that get paid regularly, you know, the private prisons, the money that goes into the elections to make sure that that our policymakers keep drugs illegal. There are pharmaceutical companies, there are alcohol companies, there are lumber companies, there are oil companies and plastics and that sort of thing. And I really hope that when you do the big event in May that you have coming up, the Congress on Cannabis, really, I would love to see some important incentives being made for entrepreneurs who are currently in the chemicals and plastics industries to start exploring ways to exploit hemp cannabis because until the industrial revolution that's how they made composites and that's how you know they used it for building materials and not just medicine they used it for textiles and war supplies (laughs) i mean it just seems so crazy that we're polluting the earth needlessly i'm gonna be i'm gonna be inviting you to that conference that world conference that we have here i think your points of view are very important in the way you use media and communication to to promote something that is good at the very end. Uh, Number two, in the case of Trump, trade. I mean, trade is a profound belief and it's a profound reality that it's a win-win situation. And those nations or economies that they trade enrich themselves. But Trump decided to punish uh, U.S. consumers. Uh, If that trade agreement is, is canceled, everybody in the United States will pay 20 to 30% more for the car you're buying today, your GM or your Chrysler or your Volkswagen or your Mercedes. Benz is crazy, the idea of taxing, uh, because they are produced in Mexico or in Germany or in China, whatever. Uh, so it's, it's, it's such a set of wrong decisions, which the final Bayer, the final cost will hit U.S. consumers, U.S. citizens. Yeah. Uh, so I, I hope something is done there. Um, I don't have anything personal against Trump except that he's a crazy guy. But but I'm I'm against his policies. I'm against yeah. his the things he's doing supposedly for the benefit of United States, supposedly to make America great again. Uh, such a stupid phrase again. America has been great always, all oh, the time. I, I agree. And, uh, and, <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Well, the other thing too about the reneging on these trade agreements is that a lot of people in the United States will lose big time because Mexico is actually where a lot of the goods produced in the United States actually get sent. And so there are consumers that they'll be missing out on an entire country of consumers of the products that are made here. So it's the very reciprocal thing. And I envision a day when if we can get a handle on this war on drugs, if they can actually end it and start taking the money from taxing the drugs and putting it into the education and that sort of thing, 
there would be some right. really amazing reciprocal trading that could go on between Mexico and the U.S. that would be so mutually beneficial. And, you know, I, I've always treasured having Mexico next door. I mean, it's just such a rich culture, yes. beautiful landscapes. I have family who live in Puerto Vallarta, and, you yeah. know, I enjoy going down there. And San Miguel de Allende. Yeah, San Miguel. Beautiful places, as you say, beautiful cities and, uh, and uh, great people, great people. So uh, we need to connect like we're doing now so that we speak person to person, so that we uh, find out who we are, how we're related. I am half American. Uh, my grandfather was born in the United States in Cincinnati, Ohio, and he came all the way here back in 1895 oh, wow. uh, as a migrant without a penny in his pocket. And his first job in Mexico was night watchman on a horse carriage factory. And uh, like him, we have a couple of hundred thousands of uh, Americans either living here in Mexico, either retiring, or either working, or millions of Americans, well, close to 10 million, that visit Mexico, that enjoy Mexico, that enjoy our enchiladas, that enjoy our people. We're so close together. I know we have problems. I know we have bad people here in Mexico as well as you have bad people in the United States. But please, please, we, uh, the, the, the reality is different than the one described by, by Trump. Yeah. Well, I think that a lot of people can see straight through that. And I know that there's a tremendous amount of uh, respect for our neighbors <laughs> and for the people who have immigrated here. I mean, one of my closest friends is actually from... Mexico. She's actually from near the the uh, Tecate area, and you know, oh, yes. it's it, it, uh, there's a beautiful. beautiful culture throughout Mexico, and that you know, I think people when they go there, they really come to appreciate it. So I'm sure she's enjoying the the, uh, the lobster tacos, which uh, they come from Ensenada and Tecate. They're the greatest piece of food <laughs> anywhere in the world, those, those uh, lobster tacos with beans, uh, incredible. Yeah, yeah, well, who couldn't appreciate that, you know, it's, it's amazing, but I really hope that what happens, that the Congress will say no to a wall, and I'm very keen on following the progress of cannabis regulation in Mexico, and I know that with the United Nations... The UN GAS, uh, the General Assembly sessions uh, last year was devoted to international drug problem and the, and the war on drugs and the treaties that, you know, were signed and, you know, having to unravel all of that stuff. And I think that there is a big movement. And it seems that from that, when I was following all of the different leaders who were there, it seems that Mexico was on board, as was Canada, in really trying to get a handle on what is happening through the U.S. drug policy. And they were encouraging the United States to really get on board with what's happening around the world. And I think that our states are taking the lead, thank goodness. But we have a lot to learn from from the regulation states. And... You know, it's our goal here to just educate people as much as possible. And well, let's keep the resistance, at least myself, I'm doing. And uh, I thank you very much for, for this interview. 
Uh, I'm going to take note of your station. I do have your information. Send you the invitation, and I hope you come here. You come here with your radio, and you make a program out of Mexico that is conveyed all over the United States to see that Mexico is modern, that Mexico is competitive, that Mexico is not crime all around, that Mexico is not criminals, that we're a, a country striving to, to become better, striving to have better standard of living for our own people. We're full employment right now in my region of Mexico, central Mexico, full employment, and uh, salaries are growing, people are going to school. We're nice people, and that's, uh, I sent a message to my beloved paisanos there in the United States. I love them. They're my heroes. They're good people. They're honest people. They're loyal people. They make their contribution to the greatness of the United States. Well, so I just have to say, hearing people as esteemed as you are talk about it in a way that makes perfect sense is so, so important to this movement. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And to all of you that are listening, you have a home here in Central Fox in the community of San Cristobal in the state of Guanajuato, only two hours away from any big city in the United States in the border, the Houston, the Dallas. Uh, we will welcome you here uh, gladly. And thank you very much for the interview. Thank you so much. It's been an honor, Mr. President. I am very, very grateful for you taking the time to come on and speak with me about this. Thank you, thank you. And you have a a good night. Bye-bye. Well, like all good things, this interview must come to an end. I'd personally like to thank former president of Mexico, Vicente Fox, for sharing his insights and vast knowledge with us today. It's been an honor. If you'd like to learn more about the work he is currently doing, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com and click podcast to find today's episode. There you will find plenty of information about Centro Fox and the work that he's doing there along with links to their website. So we have a lot of other people to thank as well. First, I'd like to express our gratitude for our radio sponsors, Healthpara and Compassionate Certification Centers. We certainly couldn't be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank Dr. Brian Donner for our Medical Marijuana Minute update, Eric Goodall, the composer of our theme song, Evergreen, and also our program directors at Society Bites and XRQK Radio Networks for sharing our show. And of course, it goes without saying how much we appreciate our producer, Ed, and engineer, John, and the team here at Star Worldwide Networks for making us shine every week. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Snowden Bishop inviting you to join me again next week, same time, same place, right here on the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. You're busy running around from work to kids to evening events. Healthcare shouldn't be adding to your daily running around. Simplify your healthcare with Helterra for only $15 per month per individual or $18 per month per family with up to nine kids. By the way, you can eliminate doctor office visits with 24/7 access to doctors via phone, video, or the mobile app. Not only do you get prescriptions filled over the phone, but save up to 85% on those prescriptions. This is a supplemental plan and not insurance. Healthcare made easy. Helterra.com.
Now that doctors and patients have discovered the many benefits of hemp-derived CBD, Alpine Miracle's Nano Emulsion CBD formula is one of the most bioavailable on the market today. It's 100% THC-free, so you can order it online anywhere in the U.S. Order yours today at alpinemiracle.com. Scientists are just beginning to understand its essential role in maintaining optimal health. Get yours today. Use the code REPORTER and receive 10% off. Don't wait. Get it now at alpinemiracle.com.